Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy, uh, well, this is interesting. How many, <laughs> how many times have we heard this, uh, this, uh, uh, this phrase, uh, how many days to stop the spread? Do you realize this week we marched a rather ominous anniversary? It was actually officially uh, the World Health Organization declared the global pandemic in January of 2020 for uh, the COVID-19. It was on March the 19th that the state of California, or as I like to say, the People's Republic of California, issued the, uh, the statewide lockdown. Remember how surreal that was? Uh, March the 19th, this past week, of course, was Sunday. So uh, this past Sunday, it was the third anniversary of 15 days to stop the spread. Remember that? The idea was the governor told us, we'll all just stay, basically stay home for the next couple of weeks. Don't go to work or work from home if you can. Um, you know, we're, they were going to be kind of the uh, uh, mask police out to make sure if you did go to the store, you know, certain places were open, certain were It was really just a time of great confusion and, and, and frustration for a lot of people. I, I came across a photo not too long ago uh, when Lisa and I were in a, living in a different city at the time. And it was a city that was kind of on a hillside and we had mountain bikes and we used to go bike riding just about every morning before we get into our work, work routine. And this is when we were still both going into the office you know, on occasion. And we could get eight to 10 mile bike rides in on these hills every day. We were getting some really good workouts and we were in good shape. You know, now we have working through COVID issues and <laughs> stuff like that, like a lot of people are. I mean, the, the average weight gain, I think, during COVID was anywhere from 25 to 30 pounds. And for some people, it's been easier to get back into it and other people it hasn't. And, um, you know, but that was one of the residual effects of, uh, you know, I think we kind of became less healthy trying to stay healthy during the whole thing. But I remember afterwards, we, we went out one day and we went to um, a big box store like Walmart or something like that, just looking for supplies. Remember when all the toilet paper was gone and all the, you know, food was kind of missing and everything. And she took a picture of me in front of a pretty well stocked shelf of toilet paper. And I looked very surprised. Um, and we were just kind of making light of the fact that there was so much going on that we were told, you know, was far beyond our control. And we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and you know, we, we were getting it done, but it was just kind of interesting to see. I think we tried to laugh a little bit to mask the insecurity and the frustration as to what was going on. And at the time I was on staff at Lutheran Church of the Cross and we were, you know, we were coming up on Easter and what are we going to do for Easter Sunday and Palm, you know, how are we going to handle we, our Holy Week services for us with Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. We had a full slate and we were scrambling around. We went from the, um, we, we, we used to, we, we did do a video, like a Facebook feed just on a single shot camera. Uh, and then we tried to do stuff on iPhones and the church wound up making some good decisions, I think, with regard to being able to video, having a lot of shut-ins uh, in the community, and it made uh, the the social engagement a lot easier for people like my parents who aren't physically able to get to church anymore. They're nearly 90, but they know they can watch either LCC or my brother's church in Oregon on the on the Facebook feed, and, and it's it's very helpful. You know, they, they still feel like they're part of a community. But remember, there were a lot of churches, you know, it seemed as though that were trying really hard to, you know, make sure that they weren't going to find themselves on the wrong end of the law, but there were a lot of crackdowns that were being proposed by local law enforcement. I think altruistically, uh, I want to give as many people the benefit of the doubt as I can. I was initially skeptical of what this was. I mean, it's a virus. Is this kind of like the flu? What's happening here? Are they overreacting? I remember on our first few editions of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we had been doing the podcast for less than a year, and we tried to you know, get to the bottom of what the issue was regarding COVID and where it came from and how bad this really was. And you can hear us you know, kind of taking that attitude of like, I think this is a bad case of the flu. I don't know why people are overreacting. And then, of course, um, you know, as it started to spread and the fatality count started to, you know, tick up, then we, you know, began to look at this and go, okay, well, you know, and then Bob had it and uh, Neil got a vaccine and then he had it really bad and then I got it. I don't think John ever did get it. Um, I got, I was diagnosed with COVID two years after this all happened and I had pneumonia at the time. And I'm pretty sure that one kind of fueled the other and vice versa. So I don't have any doubt. And I still have some lingering side effects, you know, from the virus itself. I mean, make no bones about it. I'm, I'm not quite as spry and active as I was prior to this, but I also had a heart condition. I mean, it's been 
Uh, it was five years ago last week that I had my open heart surgery. So, um, you know, everyone has to tread kind of carefully with this. But one area that it really seemed like it was draconian, I mean, regardless of the health issue, is the fact that you could begin to see the anti-Christian bias with regard to worship in churches. I, I think we can look at this now three years later and see fairly objectively that there were churches that were thrown into um, a very interesting situation because you had governors like then Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom here in California, who... Uh, New nickname for him, Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's clever. Um, it, it, quite the dictator type. And I know I've had feedback from people saying, oh, you shouldn't say that. That's disrespectful. I mean, he's quite frankly, uh, yes, he was uh, uh, fairly elected, you know, by the electorate here in California because half of the electorate, you know, favors him already. And if you get a few moderates to move that way, it's not going to be too hard for him to win an election. But it doesn't mean he doesn't act like a fascist. I mean, the revelation last week that Silicon Valley Bank went under and received a massive bailout, the fact that federal regulators knew they were taking on water, that they'd invested most of their, uh, as much as they talk about being on the cutting edge and being for uh, the tech sector and all that, you know, the, the, that's where the, the uh, venture capitalists were putting their money, over 90% of the deposits in Silicon Valley Bank were over $250,000. They had $200 billion in assets, mostly backed by U.S. Treasury bonds, which is a pretty safe risk, and a lot of banks do it. But when the bond market starts going uh, up, then that means the value of it starts going down in terms of the interest that they're you know paying out on them. And, you know, when they were buying those things, they were basically free. I mean, there was no interest. They were like one point or whatever. And then the interest rates went up to nearly five. And by increasing the interest rates by 500%, evidently the way the market works is the value of the bonds themselves went down by a proportionate number. And so now all of a sudden they had just written off another $20 billion in bond losses and it made their assets rather precarious. In the real world, what happens to a bank like that is that it just goes under and everyone says bye-bye because the venture capitalists who invested in it uh, are expecting that to potentially happen. But these guys, after paying themselves lots of bonuses and dumping some stock, wound up getting the federal government to bail them out. And so, quite frankly, your governor is one of the investors that bailed, was bailed out by the federal government with non-FDI-insured uh, deposits, which is why people like us are saying, wait a minute. If the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation is backing this and guaranteeing that's that's money from the federal government that ultimately is going to mean higher taxes and more fees for us because now they now have another $200 billion loss on their hands. So yeah, we did bail them out. And that's, it's terrible. But once again, it's this, this kind of mentality that said COVID and the global lockdown open the door for the government to get all intrusive in your banking and all intrusive in your school and all intrusive in the way you do business and in all the way you do church. New York was one of the ones that said, look, I mean, churches, oh my goodness, churches, hundreds of people gathering and they're all sitting around next to each other and they're rubbing elbows and they're shaking hands and they're hugging each other and breathing on each other and everything. And, and, and they're going to spread COVID like crazy and, and that's going to lead to mass death and we have to shut down the churches. Well, most every church I know said, okay, first couple of weeks, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. You know, we'll, we'll do online worship. We'll be fine. Or if it's safer outdoors, we sit six feet apart. That's fine. Okay, we, we get that. But over time, it became apparent that most people could see that a lot of the fear and the hysteria with regard to the spread of COVID was kind of the same way. I mean, I hate to use this as a, an equivalency, but I think it does pertain pretty equally. Remember when HIV became a thing, early 80s? And there was a big concern as to how it might be spread. And there was the issue of don't touch the handle in the door on the way to the restroom and don't sit on the toilet seat because you might get AIDS. Now, we look at that now and say, there's really no way sitting on a toilet seat you're going to get AIDS. But there were a lot of people who believed it for quite some time. And in the same way, the whole, remember the, the science, and I actually have a dear friend in ministry who I will not name publicly because I don't want to embarrass, but we went down back and forth on the science of why you shouldn't sing without a mask and, you know, how the, the when you're singing, the your voice carries 25 feet and the, the spittle and all that stuff and how you're going to infect all these people. And to my knowledge, I don't know of anybody who ever got COVID because they were sitting in the back of church and somebody sang too loud. Lee. 
But nonetheless, the churches were in the crosshairs, right? Remember that? There were a lot of churches that said, hey, we just want to meet, you know? Hebrews 11.25 or 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, we, and there were many churches that said, we're just going to keep doing this. We're going to get together. We're going to sing songs of praise. If we need to meet and sit six feet apart, we'll do it. If we want people to wear masks, you know, when they're just breathing and stuff, we'll, we'll do that too. But we want to get together and meet. And the restrictions were so draconian. Remember New York? They had opened up businesses and you could do indoor outdoor dining. You could shop for certain hours at the time. They could limit the number of people that could go in the store. But the churches, you could only have like 10 people at a time in the building or 15. And more and more churches started pushing back and saying, hey, wait a minute. I mean, uh, come on now. I mean, I could go to my local shopping mall and there's 100 people, but I could go to the supermarket and there's people bumping into each other with carts because there's so many people so close together. But if I go to church, I can't have more than 10 people if the, if the, or 20 people if the building capacity is 250. That doesn't seem right. And plus, we're here for an hour once a week. We will disinfect the bejesus out of this place. I mean, you don't have anything to worry about. We will take good care. Well, more and more churches started filing their suits and saying, hey, this is not an equal application of the law, and they started winning. Remember, there was one, then two, then three. I think there were six different cases, just from California alone, that went before the U.S. Supreme Court, where the court ruled that the law was not being appropriately applied and equally applied to churches fairly. And so as a result, the churches won. They got to open up. Well, there was concern during that time that there would be tracking and people would be spying and shutting down. I heard of one church that was actually streaming a service on Facebook and the, the limit for people in the building was 15. And they had 15 people worshiping, but the police showed up at the end because they figured out that there was a 16th person in the building and that was the guy running the camera. <laughs> they were going to arrest everybody there. I, it was that ridiculous. But there's a church here in California that was investigated by local law enforcement for having meetings that were quote unquote unauthorized at the height of the pandemic. And now it appears that there was another church in the same area that was being used by law enforcement to spy on the bigger neighbor church. Wow, uh, we've got an interesting story about this one and kind of a moral and ethical dilemma to work through. We'll do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Um, interesting story here uh, with regard to the government trying to crack down on churches. We know the high-profile cases, uh, John MacArthur's church at uh, Los Angeles area, uh, where the LA County health officials were trying to find anything they could to shut the church down. And then there was, uh, was a Godspeed Calvary Chapel in Ventura area or whatever. Uh, they were also under the scrutiny as well. You may not have known about this one, though. I mean, if obviously, if you're in the Silicon Valley, you did. But Santa Clara County officials apparently began spying on Calvary Chapel San Jose during uh, the pandemic, the height of the pandemic. We're talking about uh, 2020 and 2021. Calvary Chapel San Jose and Pastor Mike McClure apparently were having worship services. They were gathering in prayer. There were other church meetings. They weren't using social distancing. They reopened the church when they weren't supposed to etc etc apparently they got a cease and desist letter from the county 
saying that they were defying several state and county guidelines on indoor gatherings. Uh, officers at the county's business compliant unit reported, quote, observing at least 100 unmasked people gathered inside, not distanced, and some of them were singing. Now, I don't mean to make light of this. I mean, if you've had COVID, if you lost somebody uh, who died with COVID, uh, you have my condolences. I know people who've had that experience and it, it's tragic. I also know, and my sister, the nurse, and I had this conversation just last week. We were talking about it. The CDC initially issued their guidelines, and when they were reporting COVID, they indicated that 94% of the people who were dying of COVID actually died with COVID. They had a comorbidity that could have very easily had taken their life. Uh, they were overweight, high blood pressure, hypertension, uh, diabetic. I mean, there were any sorts of all sorts of different issues. Uh, there was a pastor here in the Inland Empire. Uh, he and his wife and son, I believe, contracted COVID and he wound up succumbing to it. Uh, they did not. And it turned out that he had, I believe, diabetes and was about 100 pounds overweight. I mean, there, there were some really tragic health concerns. And any one of those could have very easily led to a shortening of his life. But the idea that people would sing and other people would catch COVID was a big concern that a lot of, I mean, a lot of the health officials, remember, it's back to school. And so we got to be careful. It's Christmas. Everyone's going to get together in their homes and they're not going to be masked and they're all going to get COVID because they were just using logical deduction. If one person goes to your home and has COVID and they give everybody sick, I mean, good a colleague of mine, Joe Dallas, that happened. His son came home from college, uh, came and spent the Christmas holiday with mom and dad and other siblings, and uh, they all wound up getting COVID. Joe was in the hospital for a week. He wound up going on a keto diet. He started walking to work. He lost 50 pounds. He's in great health right now. But he could have easily, they were talking last will and testament. He didn't realize that part of the reason why they were talking that way about him is because people were getting COVID in the hospital, showing up with COVID symptoms, but then being officially diagnosed once they were in the hospital. And the more you were in ICU and on ventilators and stuff like that, the greater the actual risk of death. Calvary Chapel San Jose was in fact fined for violating the temporary restraining order and the preliminary injunction for holding in-person worship services in 2020 and 2021. But a surveillance operation that involved, check this out, August of 2020, Santa Clara County started operating stakeouts. They forced in-person monitoring of prayer groups and other intimate activities. They tracked cellular mobility data of churchgoers. They were literally tapping their phones. After an initial visit to the church on August 23rd, compliance officers attended and left the service to write up a citation for violating masking, distancing, and other guidelines. Upon returning to deliver the citation, the officers were instructed to leave the property and were prevented from returning on subsequent visits. The county's compliance unit made a deal with an adjacent church to use their location as a base camp to surveil Calvary Chapel. And that church was identified as Central Church of Christ, which is located in a lot just north of Calvary Chapel property. Apparently from that adjacent location, county officers frequently worked in pairs and were able to conduct stakeouts and observe staff and attendees by peering at them through a chain link fence from the adjacent property. Officers watched, as I'm quoting the report, greeters welcomed attendees into a building. Members of the public entering the church were not wearing face coverings. None of the greetings, greeters were either. Now, to my knowledge, um, no one from Calvary Chapel San Jose got COVID and it turned fatal. They may have gotten COVID and it didn't turn fatal, but maybe they did. Uh, apparently, Alexander Tulis, who's a minister at Central Church of Christ, told the Christian Post that while the court documents seem to suggest the church was working with the county, that's not the case. He said, quote, certain members, even in leadership, may have individually allowed this take to, to take place unofficially, but when I and the rest of the leadership came together soon after and found out what was going on, we officially asked the surveillances to be stopped immediately and so immediately means they got the request in August of 2020. The cease and desist happened in October of 2020. So apparently now the officers were also watching live stream video of the services on YouTube. And that's where they saw people singing and playing instruments without face coverings. 
But it's interesting because Santa Clara County Health Department used the geo-tracking data firm Safeguard to aggregate data on mobile devices. Safeguard, or SafeGraph rather, uses their tracking service on 47 million mobile devices all across the U.S. They could track how many people were attending Calvary Chapel on any given day. They could set a virtual boundary, a geofence, if you will, around CCF property. Wow. Now, Calvary Chapel, San Jose, was ordered to pay $200,000 in fines. They had another $33,000 in fines uh, in December because they held an indoor gathering that had more than 100 people. That was another 33,000 in fines that was also overturned as well. The court decision uh, also reversed $22,000 in fines imposed on the church for violating a November 2nd order. And then they also had a contempt order that imposed monetary sanctions on the church and its pastors for nearly $200,000. So what happens next? Here we are in year four of 15 days to stop the spread. What happened to the church? Were they able to withstand? There has been an interesting twist in this case, and we'll talk about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, good news to report that uh, Calvary Chapel San Jose uh, does not have to pay $200,000 in fines uh, because of COVID violations, allegedly. And also the Central Church of Christ uh, in the neighboring area, literally kind of a parking lot away, uh, is also saying, hey, wait a minute, we did have a couple of members early on in the pandemic who didn't want to get our church in trouble, and they did cooperate with Santa Clara County officials and let them park in our parking lot, look at you know stuff through the fence, et cetera, et cetera. But once we found out that was happening, we said, no, you can't do that to another church. So that stopped. Um, the interesting development is that Calvary Chapel San Jose has rebranded itself and is now known as Calvary Chapel, what is it? It's the uh, uh, CCCF, or excuse me, CCF, which is Calvary Christian Fellowship. Now, there's no indication as to whether or not they did that as a result of what happened during the pandemic and the legal actions that were taken against them. It, it's conceivable that they may have done so just because the legal charges and challenges were levied against Calvary, Calvary Chapel San Jose. So now it's Calvary Christian Fellowship, same church, just a, a new branding. But it makes me wonder, I mean, I, I'm thrilled to see the number of Christian organizations that kept meeting. I know several churches. There's a pretty good-sized church by my home, and I know these people well. As a matter of fact, I used to attend a church that founded that location. That church went under, and this new larger church came in, and it's been operating there for about 10 years, and they never stopped meeting. They kept meeting every week, and, and to you in, in the congregations who kept meeting and did so safely, I mean, I might uh, Pastor Michael Youssef, living way or leading the way rather, uh, we've had this conversation a lot. Le uh, the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Michael's home church, was shut down for three weeks, did video only. Once they figured out they had done their time to stop the spread, they set up the safeguards. You know, they encouraged people to wear masks. They set up, you know, social distancing. They had outdoor worship. They added a service, and they weren't. Ba they were back in business. A lot of churches were, and hats off to those who did. Uh, my heart breaks for the larger churches who shut themselves down for a couple of years because they were so afraid of the government. 
I, I don't think it became, we, we pretty much became aware of, you know, what the, with this is going to be, that the virus was more endemic than pandemic and that whole compliance thing. But I know there are a lot of people too, who during this time were really upset with God. Why is this happening to our church? Why is this happening to our people? Why is this happening in the world right now? Why are Christians being persecuted for wanting to meet together? You know, the anger with God thing, it's real. A lot of people wind up leaving the church because they have an issue with God or they're angry with God. Maybe the question though, isn't so much that they're angry with God and that's why they leave the church. Maybe it's because they don't know what to do with that anger. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick has written an interesting book on this very issue about how do you deal with the lousy things that happen in life? The things that can really knock somebody out of their faith, like why did this person have to die? Why did I have to lose my job, etc.? Um, when you're betrayed by people in the Christian faith, what do you do? His brand new book is called Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. It's from the Ask the Christian Counselor series of New Growth Press. And we have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Do you find yourself in that situation right now? I, I know a, a very close friend of mine who uh, literally took that with her uh, to her final days about an issue that she had with God, she was angry with him about. She wound up contracting cancer and dying, and I, I often wondered, was she able to get that reconciliation this side of heaven about the issue that she was so angry with him about that drove her away from the church? It's okay to get angry with God. He's got a big old chest and you can pound on it, you can cry, you can say, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Look at the Psalms for crying out loud. But is it possible that God allows us to go through these, these things so he can show you how much he cares about your pain, how he can actually use this to deepen your relationship with him. Don't be afraid of your anger toward God. As a matter of fact, let's learn how to use it more proactively. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick joins me on the other side of this break to talk about being angry with God. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into an issue that is kind of controversial in the sense that a lot of people get the sense that uh, when it comes to the things of God, God is great, God is good, and we don't ever have any reason to be angry with him. And yet, what happens when it happens? I mean, it's inevitable that something's going to happen that's going to knock you off course and make you feel, you know, maybe angry at someone who got in a conflict with you, or maybe more importantly, angry with God. What do you do? To deal with that. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. He's also assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's the author of a brand new book that has a very provocative title. It's simply Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Brad Hambrick, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Let's talk about pain especially pain as it seems like it's coming from God. I mean, we talk about how the goodness of God and every good and perfect gift is from him and all things work together for good, you know, that are called for those who are called according to his purpose. And yet there definitely are some times in our Christian experience where we find ourselves not running into his loving arms, but pounding on his holy chest and saying, hey, why is all this happening here? Um, talk about some of the reasons why people do get angry with God and and then the initial reaction afterwards, it's like, wait, if God is good and loving, why am I angry with him? Yeah, and I think you set that question up well, uh, because you set it up as a pain question. Uh, and at the point where we get upset with God, um, you know, one of the things that that reveals is that God's really important to us. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't tend to get upset with inconsequential people in our life. Uh, and so when things are hard, uh, we get that diagnosis, or a loved one gets that diagnosis, a church that we love, uh, something happens and it seems to fall apart, a, a marriage or a close relationship uh, betrays us, um, and we, we're we not sure what to do with that. Uh, and I think often we're not sure what to do with it because we're not sure what category to put it in. Right. Uh, what this book's about uh, is, even though anger's on the title, it's a book about grief. Uh, that often as Christians, we overlook the place and role of anger uh, within grief. Uh, even your oldest models of grief, like if you go back to Cooler Ross, and you remember that from your intro to psych mm -hmm. class, uh, mm -hmm. denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, um, that we get angry because this is not the way that it's supposed to be. 
this is not God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This is the brokenness of earth rubbing one of its jagged edges up against us. Mm. Um, and so when uh, when we when I approach the subject of anger with God in this book, I do it as an expression of grief uh, that somebody's been through something hard. Uh, and they're trying to make sense of life in light of this hard thing. Uh, and the invitation is that of the Beatitude, where uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who will trust me with their tears, right? Uh, because they will be comforted. Um, and so when it says an honest journey through suffering betrayal, that's uh, that's what the book's about. Dr. Brad Hambrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and the book he's mentioning is Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Do you find, Dr. Hambrick, that there are many people who it's not so much a question of experiencing the pain, experiencing the grief, the hurt that goes along with that, but they don't know what to do with it in the first place they realize that they don't know what to do with it is they have a difficulty or a difficult time articulating it either to people in the in, in their church community or it, to God in prayer uh, how do you help recommend and how do you help people who realize they just don't have the language for lament here and they're trying to you know articulate this as best they can yeah i think one thing there and you know in my role as a pastoral counselor i get invited to the deep end of the pool of people's lives um, fairly frequently. Um, and oftentimes, uh, as Christians, the only category we have for anger uh, is selfish anger. Uh, it's James 4 kind of anger, uh, where James asks, what causes quarrels? What causes fights amongst you? Is it not this? And I'm paraphrasing now that you don't get your way and you get all kinds of hot and bothered about it. Hmm. Um and yes, there is James for anger, and yes, repentance is a wonderful remedy and gift uh, that God gives us to resolve selfish anger. But there's also grief anger. Uh, what uh, kind of the backbone of, of the book that I wrote is Psalm 44, uh, where uh, if you just, you know, if your listeners happen to have a Bible to flip open, you look at the first eight verses of Psalm 44, uh, and it's a praise party. Uh, like, great things are happening, and the psalmist is giving God credit for all of it. And we often miss that grief starts in the really good times. It's the thing that we love. It's the thing we see so much promise in. It's the role that we thoroughly enjoy. And then after verse 8, uh, a salah happens. We don't know what happens in the salah. Uh, but it was a train wreck, and it was tragic because for the next eight verses, uh, the psalmist gives God every bit as much blame as he did credit in the first eight. Mm. Then you got four or five verses of just the psalmist seemingly confused and disoriented, saying things like, God, you know my heart. You know that like if, if I betrayed you, if I wasn't true, you would know it. I could never hide it from you. And the psalmist is searching, and then you hit the last— I think it's three or four verses, and there's all kinds of exclamation points. Uh, and that's kind of the Old Testament version of all caps that we would use <laughs> in an email today when we're upset. <laughs> and, you know, the, the psalmist is saying things like, rouse yourself, God, wake up. Um, and, uh, you know, that we look at the psalms and we recognize these are words that God gave us to pray back to him. Yes, He knew in a broken world, in mid-journey lives where we don't, we don't see any of the culmination yet. You know, we're not like Moses writing the first five books of the Old Testament knowing that the uh, children of Israel got out of Egypt. We're not like the um, disciples writing the four Gospels on the other side of the resurrection. Uh, we're mid-journey. And so God gave us songs where he's like, hey, when life is broken and here's language, uh, and so it this this kind of coming to him and talking with him is a, a very invited conversation that yeah. too often as Christians we we feel like we're being irreverent when God says no I want to hear from you in these times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, bring that to me. I mean, that's the only place that currency will spend. I'm Dr. Brad Hambrick right. is my guest today on the bottom line. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just agreeing. I was saying right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book Angry with God is going to be a real game changer for people who have never really processed this before, and they don't understand, Dr. Hambrick, the fact that when you are in pain, the pain is real and it does impact your emotions. It impacts your thoughts, you know, relationships, you know, it, really in, in the same way, if you've ever been kind of knocked on the forehead, or I still remember very clearly the time I was joining in with a bunch of other seventh graders and we were kind of having, making sport of another guy in the group because I don't know, I don't even know why we did it, but he turned around and looked at me first and punched me right in the nose. And basically, that was his way of saying, I don't know how else to articulate this, but what you're doing is causing me pain. Knock it off. I'm going to cause you pain now. And in those moments right afterwards, I was stunned. You know, I was just kind of walking around like, good Lord, it's one and only time I've ever been punched in the nose. But I can imagine, Dr. Brad Hambrick, that when people are angry with God, life has done something or someone else has done something or circumstances have done something. And it feels like that. And we don't realize that sometimes we're making decisions. We're walking to and from places where we're just, it, it, it's a point of pain that we just kind of need to, I don't want to say get a grip on, but, you know, at least find a center for, if you will. And what I really appreciate about what you're saying, and it was a big part of my heart in writing this book, is that most people who walk away from their faith and kind of deconstruction and walking away from a faith is kind of a, uh, a trend right now. Uh, mm -hmm. People who walk away from their faith don't walk away from their faith because the Trinity is complicated and they can't get their mind around it, or because the hypostatic union just doesn't make sense to them. Mm -hmm. um, they walk away from their faith because of pain, mm. and they don't know how to reconcile a world where the kind of suffering that they're experiencing exists uh, with the faith that they remember from growing up. Mm. And uh, that's where uh, if we want to come alongside of our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our coworkers, folks in our small group, and say, hey, you're, you're going through something hard. Uh, God's not upset with you for being upset right now. God mm. has compassion for you. Uh, let's, let's walk through something together that helps you process that. And it's not just me going, you should have happier thoughts about God because Jesus <laughs> right. died for this book is meant to be that kind of conversation piece. It's written to facilitate conversations between one friend and another, that we walk that kind of road with each other more faithfully. Uh, that friend doesn't say, I'm just done with Christianity because life's too hard. Hmm. Boy, that's great insight. A good exhortation from Dr. Brad Hambrick today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Continuing conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show, Dr. Brad Hambrick is with me today here on the program. We're talking about his brand new book called Angry with God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Brad, I, we were talking during the break about something that I know there's a reason for, but it's kind of interesting. Whenever there is uh, any kind of uh, additional artwork done to the original artwork, it, it always draws my attention. And it's interesting because the title of the book appears to be Angry at God 
and then you've crossed out the word at and put the word with God in. It seems like a subtle difference, but help us understand why it's important to really appreciate the difference between being angry at God and being angry with God. Yeah, and you know, most of us start, and we just think, huh, I'm angry. Uh, God's a part of it. I'm angry at God. Um, and most of us know what it's like to be angry at someone. Uh, we have a conversation. Our decibel levels probably go up. Our <laughs> words are pretty sharp. We talk yeah. fast, and in that conversation, there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser, and we don't want to be the loser. Right, um, right. And then most of us has also had conversations with a friend, maybe about the exact same subject that was upsetting. Um, and as we talk with that friend, our words may get just as loud. Our words may be just as sharp. Now, we may talk just as fast, but at the end of it, we look at that friend and we say, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. I, I feel better just having had somebody to talk this through and process it with. Um, and, uh, you know, this book is about realizing God wants to be that rock. He wants yeah. to be that refuge. He, he is for us and with us um, in these times. And yet oftentimes we get to that spot where we, we think God is our adversary, not mm -hmm. our comforter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, the early part of this book is just helping us kind of turn that corner in uh, realizing, like, this is another one that for, um, that for many of us as believers, we, when we hurt, the most natural question in all of the world is why. Mm. Why did this happen? What, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing more hurtful and infuriating than the answers that people try to guess at the why question. <laughs> yeah. God is doing this. Maybe you need to learn that. And, and where we start is just saying your pain is not a riddle. Um, mm. You know, because with a riddle, uh, you get the answer, and it makes all the angst go away. Right. Um, but pain is a journey. Uh, it's something that has to be traversed. Uh, and so setting it up early, uh, that God is, you know, he portrays himself as our companion, one who is with us, one who will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, and our pain isn't something that there's going to be an answer, and it quickly explains it away. And we go, ah, that's it. <laughs> But this is a journey we walk with God and those that we love. Mm. Powerful exhortation there, Dr. Brad Hambrick with us today here on the program. And we're talking about Angry with God, his brand new book, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Dr. Hambrick, this seems like a process that for many people gets frustrating because a lot of people don't know how to resolve the hurt resolve the grief, resolve the whatever it is of conflict. I mean, you've probably counseled many people. I know I've had com conversations with a lot of folks too, who if I, I don't want to you know, boil it down to being too pedantic, but it's just like their anger defines them. So therefore they don't really want to let go of it. They just want to express it. When it comes to anger with God though, I mean, that we should know and we should be striving toward some kind of resolution. Uh, you talk about this in your book, Angry with God. Talk about what you mean by resolving your grief. Yeah. And, uh, you know, resolving, we often, we want the silver lining in the cloud. We want to flip the quilt or tapestry over and what looks like a mess of yarn on one side is a beautiful picture on the other. Um, and, you know, occasionally uh, it's clear enough that we're like, ah, this is why I went through that. Uh, you know, in the book of Job, uh, he kind of gets at the, you see at the beginning, like the conversation that was going on. Uh, we don't always get that. Resolve doesn't always mean answer. Uh, resolved means I trust my relationship with God. Uh, that uh, I get that he is for me and with me. Uh, that um, That my ability to trust people, to engage in relationships, to regulate my emotions, um, to, to make choices that are productive, proactive choices and not reactive to the painful things that I've been through. Um, you know, getting to a spot with our grief uh, that, uh, that we can engage life that way. I mean, that's where, like, if we think of losing a loved one, uh, there's an early stage of losing a loved one when 
uh, emotions are kind of hot, raw, reactive, that we can we can fall apart quickly and there's like that's normal for it. And then you hit to a spot where where grief is more resolved and when you remember your loved one, you can call those memories up, the life lessons, the pleasant, the unpleasant. Uh, you know, they're a real person. They had strengths. They have weaknesses. And you can draw on uh, what you went through, both with them and the grief itself. Um, and that kind of ability to engage with life on the other side of the pain uh, is what we would mean by resolved. Hmm. That resolved is such a, a, a peace-giving, life-affirming word uh, to have that kind of resolution in this anger process. I'm sure it's just, it, it's a huge lift of a burden for people who are in the body of Christ, especially when part of the reason why the anger shows up is maybe you didn't quote-unquote do anything wrong, and yet you feel as though you mm -hmm. have been wronged, and at, at which point I guess we turn to Genesis and look at Joseph's story and say, uh, well, I mean, shake hands with the rest of us, I guess. Dr. Brad Hambrick is my mm -hmm. guest today here on The Bottom Line. Angry with God is the book, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Hambrick, have a couple minutes left in our conversation here. How can we best utilize this resource? I mean, you've got so much material in here. In a relatively, I mean, when I first looked at the table of contents without looking at the pages, um, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a 400-page book for sure. Why does it feel so thin? Um, it, you've done it in a very pithy and concise manner. How can we best utilize this resource to manage the anger that invariably comes up with our Creator? Now you look at the table of content and you're like, wow, there's 25 chapters. A book with 25 chapters is pretty long, uh, but they're very bite-sized chapters. Uh, they're meant to be, uh, it's read and talk, read and talk. Uh, have a friend that's processing this with you. Uh, this isn't meant to be a, a read-alone book because mm. uh, isolation kind of makes our pain echo. Yeah. Um, when we... Uh, when we have somebody to talk with, uh, then that helps a lot. Uh, and for all the reasons that you were saying and we've been talking about, um, oftentimes it's it's hard to have this conversation with a friend. When I teach in a, a counseling program in seminary, one of the things that, that I say very frequently is the most important skill of counseling is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and to have a resource like this that is you and your friend are walking this through together and like the structure, guiding concepts, the biblical passages, those things are there. So the two of you feel greater freedom to explore, to talk, to cry, to process, uh, to go through the things that are hard and you're less distracted by wondering like, what is it that I've got to say next that's going to be helpful enough to benefit my friend? Mm -hmm. You can just be a presence and a compassion uh, figure in their life uh, and allow the book to structure the journey and facilitate the conversations between the two of you. Fantastic resource, highly recommended for pastors, for lay people, for any of us who've ever had that anger moment with our Almighty. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick, the book is called Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Hambrick, thank you so much for this resource, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. It's been my pleasure. Thank you again for the invitation. Boy, a great conversation and a powerful book, too. Angry with God is the new book by Dr. Brad Hambrick, uh, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have giveaways for you. Uh, we've got two copies of this book to give away, so you don't have to be angry with God that you couldn't call through at 800-227-5278 and get in on this giveaway. But uh, I encourage you to check it out, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Do you remember a time when you were angry with God? Do you, do you remember? I, I have to admit, there was a time in my life when I experienced a tremendous amount of anger with God. And I'll never forget the moment and where I was and how it happened because afterwards, God immediately showed me how I, easy it was for me to bring my anger to him. 
and to restore relationship with him. I want to share that story with you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Dr. Brad Hambrick, the author of the book, Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of the book, or actually two that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I mentioned before the break, there was a time I, I, I used to hear people, you know, the, leaving the church or, you know, frustrated with, uh, you know, a pastor or whatever, or Maybe they just, oh yeah, I tried God. It didn't, he didn't work for me because I, I, you know, the, the, you hear this a lot. Someone who will say, uh, I, I worked with a guy one time whose, whose mom died of cancer when he was 12. And uh, he wound up going into the LGBT lifestyle because he was so angry with her for leaving him. But he said, ultimately, I went to seminary to try to be a pastor. And it was there that I realized that I wasn't just mad at my mom. I was mad at God. And he as far as I know, I mean, we were about 10 years apart. He passed away last year, and I don't know that he ever got resolution for that, which means he carried that bitterness with him for at least 40 plus years. That anger at his mother for leaving him when he was 12 and anger at God for taking his mother. And and how many times do you see that happen? You know, or, you know, why did God not allow us to have this or that or the other thing? I remember my dad and mom purchasing a home one time. And it was a contingency based on they had to sell the house they were in to get this other home. And it was a beautiful home, kind of a dream home for them up on a hill, great view and everything. And then the home that they were selling fell through. And they had to give back the home that they wanted to purchase. And my dad said, I remember walking that property and I was praying and I was just mad at God. Why'd you take this house from us? I mean, this was so perfect for us. And I can't believe this happened. About four months later, the next development in that uh, construction zone opened up and the marketing agent called him and said, would you like to come look at the new pads? And what had happened was the market had changed, prices had gone down, and there was actually a view lot that had a better view. And as he was walking that lot and praying over that lot, um, he said, God basically said to him, see, and, uh, and we've always had a good chuckle about that. I remember one time I was I'm late to work and it was frustrated. I had to drop something off for one of my kids. And literally the key in the ignition to my car got stuck. I was trying to turn the car on right over here by the K-Bright Studios. Though I didn't know I was going to be working here at the time. And I got back in the car. I was running late from work and I put the key in and I turned the ignition and it literally got stuck. And I had to call AAA. It took three hours for them to come out. They had to do hickey the thing. I wound up buying a whole new key mechanism system in the car. I spent 120 bucks I didn't have at that time. And I remember getting in the car to turn it over again. And I pounded the steering wheel. And I said, God, why did you do this to me? And he stopped. And he just responded to me. And he said, you have no idea why you're so upset. Trust me. I got you on this one. And the whole rest of the day played out almost miraculously in terms of doors that opened up, things that I didn't need to be around for, things that when I got to the office, they had all worked themselves out, things I was afraid was going to happen and I'd be in big trouble for. And God had taken care of everything. And basically, he just said, eyes on me. That's what I wanted from you today is eyes on me. You were going in so many different directions and I needed a way to kind of dislocate your hip, eyes on me. And it was a real turning point in my life. I encourage you to embrace the times when you are frustrated with God and you want to be angry with him. He can handle it. Pound on his chest. He can handle it. And get a copy of Brad Hambrick's book, too. We've got a couple minutes left in our giveaway. Angry with God, an honest journey through suffering and betrayal, 800-227-5278. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. That's coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's time for this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable. There's more Bottom Line Show coming up next as the Bottom Line continues.